broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. What is up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thank you for making us a part of your day today. I'm pleased to have with me in studio a new member of the Business Radio X network, Dr. Dion Wright-Polton. Thank you for having me. And you're getting ready to launch a show on our network. You had been a guest on one of my colleagues' uh, studios. I met you through LinkedIn. We were just trying to figure out how we got connected, but I think it was something that you posted on LinkedIn. And I said, hey, that sounds really interesting. I know that a lot of businesses out there are taking a look at diversity and how it comes to play in their enterprise in a number of different ways. And that's where you fit in. So I thought, hey, we should we should talk. Great. Yes. Actually, my show debuted uh, last Friday on the Gwinnett Business Radio X platform (laughs) called the Dr. Dion Show, focusing on diversity leadership and behavior in the workplace. And so I was on uh, Mike Salmon's show a few months ago. And uh, subsequent to that, he said, you know what? Let's 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 try this. So we're trying it now, and I'm 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 enjoying it. The ride's been great so far. So well, talk for about your me. background because I don't think you've always been working in diversity. How did you get to this place here? <laughs> talk about the evolution. Oh, interesting. So I actually have an undergrad degree in kinesiology and health sciences. Yeah, a long way from where you are right uh, now. Yeah. So I was <laughs> I was an athlete in my my former life. <laughs> so I got a full scholarship to Rice University, where I got my degree. After graduating, I actually ended up teaching health and physical education at a high school. Between going to teacher's college and uh, getting my teaching job, I actually worked in a shelter for street youth. And so I did a lot of uh, uh, work with, um, I guess, quote unquote, needy people, marginalized people. When I started teaching, and what happened was there was a class of grade nine boys. There was 35 boys and they were having uh, problems with the teachers. And so the principal at the time asked me to come in and take over that classroom And so I took it over. And the last teacher whose class I took it over was not happy. At the end of the year, she ended up coming to me and telling me that I was uh, successful with the kids because I was black and because I was pretty. But let me rewind that. (laughs) She said that because the the kids were really unruly. They were. And so when I came to the classroom with them, I said, you know what? You need to be on time, pull up your pants, do your homework, and we're going to have a good time. And so I went rookie of the year. So I guess she kind of felt a little slighted. So when she said that to me, it made me realize that there were some biases that were going on with teachers because uh, some of those kids were successful in my class, but not in her in other classes. And I will point out that in that particular class, it wasn't just black students. It was also white students. It was Hispanic students, Muslim students, um, um, students of African descent, Asian. I mean, you can think about it. So I said to her in response, I said, I got, oh, I said, so how do you explain the fact that all those different kids did well as well? I said, I must be really pretty and, 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 and um, and so we had a very instructive conversation. And the irony is that she had a, um, she walked with a limp and she always complained that people were judging her. So I said to her, I said, so do you realize what you did to me is what you've been complaining about, which is you basically deduced my, my teaching ability to how I looked in, in my race. And so it wasn't a confrontation, but it was a really, really eye-opening experience. And that led me to actually research the unconscious biases of teachers. So that actually, that was a segue into do my master's degree I'm looking at uh, the comfort levels of teachers in multicultural schools. And then when I moved here to Atlanta, I decided to go to University of Georgia and I did my PhD in the area. (laughs) (laughs) Glutton for punishment. Long story. (laughs) (laughs) And then once you got your PhD, then what? I decided to launch my own business. So actually, uh, let me backtrack. So when I moved to Atlanta, got a teaching job at at, um, Spelman College and I was teaching health and PE. But the irony is that I was actually offered a job at the same time, like two days apart uh, from Kennesaw State University, teaching kids in multi- multiculturalism 
And so I made the, the difficult decision to have to go to Spelman, mostly because uh, my daughter was one years old and I, it, was a, it was a long commute going up to Kennesaw. So for the Kennesaw State interview, I actually did a, a whole lesson plan looking at multiple. I, was, I did a very kind of innovative approach. And at the end of it, they said, oh, they called me and said, you know what, can we use that? And I, and I called my mentor and said, they want to use my, my, my stuff. She goes, don't you dare, absolutely not. And so <laughs> that made me realize I was onto something. So three months later, uh, or, or yeah, but three months later, after while I'm teaching at, at, at Spelman, I saw a call for a proposal for, for a conference. And I said, you know what, that lesson plan I did at Kennesaw State could probably be a workshop. I submitted it, ended up having 40 people in attendance. At the end of it, I had 35 offers to come and 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 facilitate my workshop. This is 2004. And so uh that kind of get me going and I saw over the years I was doing it on the side and then and then finally in 2007 said, "You know what? I'm going to quit my job. I'm teaching health and PE, but I'm I'm talking about diversity." So I quit my job and then EGA allowed me to use my research um, use my workshop as my research base. So to your original question, I started I graduated in 2011 and never looked back. I started my business on uh, 20, in 2011. Officially, well, five years in, here you are. Five years in, yes. So, with Poulton Consulting Group, talk about what it's focused on because you're 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 getting into a, a whole number of of issues that you're able to help a smaller, mid size, or any size enterprise do better around diversity within and without. Absolutely. So, the primary focus is looking at uh, the intercultural relationships. So I look at dialogue. I look at unconscious biases, which is huge in basically every industry. I look at issues of equity, um, of course, inclusion. Like once, what after a business, for example, has has established their diversity protocols, how do they? When they say show respect, what does that mean? I actually come in and help people and show people how to show respect because some people don't have those tools. They don't understand that that that's things. Some things that they think and believe get in the way of how they treat people. So th- th- that's kind of things that I offer. How how often do you encounter businesses that are having you come and speak that don't have any of those types of things already in place? Do you know what I'm saying? That they don't have policies that kind of get into that and don't really have anything formal around how how does our culture and in, in our enterprise uh, deal with diversity of different types? Mm-hmm. From what I've seen, a lot of businesses actually diversity is a pretty it's a, it's a it's a kind of like a um it's 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 a wave right now. So people are actually are actually I'm um, trying to implement it right now, but what I've seen is that people sometimes fall short in terms of again operationalizing it. So so they may think they've got a, a a a wonderful established policy, but when it comes to actually putting it in motion and having their have the employees actually follow it, that's where things fall short and and issues come up. Because some people just think you need to physically have the tools and and um, to be able to do that, and a lot of times it, it deals with people looking at their at their at their at their um, their beliefs, uh, how they were raised, uh, um, their old their, their previous experiences that that lead to how they deal with other people. When it comes to a business and and the the thinking about diversity of both amongst their their various employees as well as having employees be better able to deal with a diverse customer base. What, what business needs to think about having someone such as Dr. Dion come in and talk to them and help them refine how they, how they view this? I have been in several different industries and I've seen that this kind of, it, 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 it crosses across many different areas. So for example, I was in San Francisco earlier this year and I was invited to facilitate a workshop 
for about, um, I think they're close to 50 employees looking at the unconscious biases, the, the racial and gender biases in digital marketing. And because, and, and this particular client that I have, they actually, um, their clients are actually Google and all these, these, these big tech companies. And so they wanted to, to, to kind of address matters that were, that were happening uh, within the department, but also that kind of permeated into their actual work. So that's, that's, that's one area. Um, I'm, my background is teaching, so teaching is 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 also a huge element. There's a there's there's a lot of evidence that talks about the disproportionate um, levels of 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 um, suspensions of of minorities in in schools, and and they equate some of them. A lot of the research goes back to the fact that they're unconscious biases among teachers and administrators in terms of how of how kids are treated. So those are two examples through the process of. Workshops like this, um, like what you're talking about, where you're sitting down with these folks and going through a phase of discovery. I mean, how effective is this kind of initiative to change the way I think? Do you know what I'm saying? To, yes. to help me be more effective and maybe interact mm-hmm. in a, I guess, a more positive fashion with those that are different than mm-hmm. me, however they're different, whether it's religiously or, or racially, whatever the case may be. Well, as we all know, change is very difficult. We don't come to it very easily um, in any place, in any in any realm. My goal in these trainings and when I do uh, talks or, 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 or keynotes, I, I basically present the information. My goal is not to indoctrinate you. My goal is not to change you on the spot. I just want to present the information because sometimes people are not ready to hear what you're, what you're saying. And um, sometimes people will hear the information and then two weeks later they say, oh, that's what she meant. Or maybe a month later, a year later, two years later, it's sometimes there's a, there's a, a, a thing called critical incidents in which something happens to somebody that, that becomes transformative and it makes them recognize that stuff that they've learned previously can kind of be, can, can now, is, is now of relevance. So my goal is not necessarily to change, it's to just present information. And that said, I have had people come up and, and just, just, I mean, I've had people come up in tears after some of my workshops saying, I had no idea, I had no idea. So it depends. But I, I think um, you can't really measure based upon one. Can you share when it comes to the business environment, any kind of elements that you see tend to be common from one to the next in, in terms of dealing with issues around diversity? Are there some common flaws, if you will, from from the way that people within a business are interacting with each other or with their customers that you see to be common things that you find with a little bit of perspective change can improve? I think the two biggies are race and gender in the workplace. And, we, and we've seen so many different things going on. There's, there's, there's lawsuits here and there. I think that if we just engage in constructive dialogue, ask questions, and just be open, I think we could we could probably avoid a lot of problems. I think people are 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 very politically correct and understandably they're afraid to make mistakes. But I think it's it's okay to ask a question. So for example, I remember when I was in grad school, I had a, a girlfriend that I was I was, you know, we're pretty cool and she she's um uh, um Asian. And we we're talking and I said, Oh well you're from you're from China. And she goes, No, I'm from Hong Kong. I'm, I was ignorant, obviously. And so I said, oh, I said, oh, I, I, I apologize. because I, I clearly offended her. I said, can you, can, you tell me the, can you tell me the difference? And so she told me the difference. And so that was a, a moment where I was ignorant and I made a mistake and I offended her. But I asked the follow-up question and said, hey, can you just educate me? Right. And I think if we, just, if we just take the time to talk to each other and ask questions and not be afraid to make mistakes, I think we can really, really move uh, forward in terms of our relations with each other. I think that was uh, an effective thing where you asked 
the question to for for clarification rather than just leaving it at that. I think I think one of the ways to be better able to deal with diversity is to also not be offended too easily too. Understand that you 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 weren't coming from a place of insult, obviously, with what you said. You just didn't know. Yes. You wrote a book called "It's Not Always Racist, But Sometimes It Is." How does that fit in? Well, that's an interesting segue because I wrote. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I wrote that book because not everything is racist, and through my research, my PhD research, I looked at the unconscious biases of teachers in the classroom, and through my research, I discovered, or I kind of, or maybe also kind of reinforced what I knew based upon my teaching experiences, that we have biases. And so I wrote the book because I, and my argument is that much like the way we we judge on the basis of height and beauty and weight and age, we also judge on the basis of race, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean we're all racist. And so in the book, I offer a distinction between what what racism is and what racial bias is. And I help the reader actually go through the process of, of differentiating the two and also looking at scenarios and then deciding, okay, is this, if this indeed is, is racist or not? Because again, if we don't know what things are and we don't have the proper language to, to have conversations, then we're not going to move forward. And so that was the purpose of writing the book. Do you find with the over the last couple of years, obviously, the issue of race, the issues of gender, those have obviously been in the news pretty significantly. How has that affected in you with what you're doing? Are, is it making the phone ring more for businesses to say, we want to we want to do this the right way? I've been busy. Yes. <laughs> Which is a great thing. Uh, well, at the same time, there's there people are also it's it's a diff, it's a hot button issue. So so people are also concerned about addressing it, and they don't want to open Pandora's box. But 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 I I talk about leaders a lot because sometimes I think a a, a good leader is somebody who's willing to take the step to address what's happening rather than waiting for something major to happen like a lawsuit or or you have a whole office of of disenfranchised people disgruntled people employees so i think uh, a leader should always take the step to try and address issues before they they get huge and then they become something that you can't even control we've been talking with dr dion wright polton of polton consulting group and as we've been discussing she is an expert in human resources and diversity issues is somebody that comes into a business or enterprise and engages with leadership and the, the employees to help them better be able to understand and, and more effectively communicate with folks who are different than they are and whatever perspective that may be, uh, as well as being able to deal with uh, customers out there that may be, be different in some form or fashion, maybe look different than us, whatever the case may be. And when it comes to the business to business space, which is that's what we are here, your customer is a business it costs money to have you come. Why do I want to invest the money? Because I know there's got to be a return on investment and you kind of touched on it a minute ago Mm -hmm. because as these issues, particularly these days are kind of sensitive, you you talked about legal issues that can can come up from this. And I would imagine that for my business to get better educated on how to deal with matters around diversity, then I'm probably reducing my risk by some amount to to be more effective within my business culture. Absolutely. So if you if if a business leader is proactive in addressing issues, I'm not. I, I, of course, I can't guarantee that nothing would happen, but you're probably leaving yourself less vulnerable to to lawsuits and to uh, really really bad um, employee relations because you're taking a proactive approach to addressing it. And I, I, I have to add a caveat to that. It's not, and it's not just bringing in any old person because I got in diversity, there are a lot of people who are in this field who are not educated in this area. They just said, oh, well, I have this experience so I can do this. So uh, I, I always make the joke that I'm a, I'm a woman, but it doesn't mean I'm a gynecologist <laughs> medically. And I think a lot of people 
uh, get into this field and they're not necessarily qualified to do so. I'm qualified to do this. So if somebody invites uh, me into their organization, they know that they're getting workshops that are research-based. They know that they're getting somebody who's a trained facilitator. I'm a teacher with a plethora of experiences in different industries. Uh, so the risk is pretty low in inviting me in. But I've heard of situations where, you know, where people have brought in other entities and it's gotten worse. And there are times where I've been invited in after the fact. <laughs> it sounds like to clean that, up messes. that may be some of the questions that someone should ask a consultant who reaches out to say, hey, I can provide this for you. It sounds like you might need to ask, do they have teaching backgrounds? I, it sounds like on some levels that would be a, a valuable or at least some extensive consulting background where they're educating people over time. But having, as you talked about, research-based approach to the talking about diversity, because that's your educational background. Yes. Because a lot of, uh, actually, when I did my, my research, I think the number was 90, it was in the 90s. They said 90, 90 something percent of diversity trainings are not research-based, which is unbelievable. <laughs> like, are you going to go to a doctor that's not, that doesn't, hasn't, gone, hasn't gone to school? And, um, and, and, and people don't realize that, that it's, it's an important issue. And we, I mean, <laughs> you have to just open the, open, open, I'm saying the newspaper, I'm, but just the, turn on the internet and, and read a story. There, there's stories about this every single day. And it's not just about race and gender, it's age. Uh, we see stuff with, with, with millennials. We see, there's so many different matters that affect the workplace. So it's important to make sure that you have somebody that's informed and that can address different, different issues. From what I understand, you're a finalist in a couple of categories at the Gwinnett Chamber Pinnacle Small Business Award. I am. Thank you. I'm. It's. It's. What I'm. I'm so happy for that honor. Not just to. I, I'm actually just happy just that it was recognized. Let alone being the final, the semifinals in two categories. I'm. I'm very pleased that somebody has uh, recognized my business as worthy enough to be acknowledged and also to be um, nominated for that award. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased, and especially in the county where I live. So I'm excited about that. And you just joined the Board of Creative Community Services. Talk about the CCS. I did. So through my networking at the chamber, I actually uh, was uh, asked to join a board of uh, Creative Community Services. I'm actually secretary of that board now. And it's under the leadership of Miss Sally Buchanan. And it was actually founded in 1982. And I just jumped at the opportunity because uh, this particular organization is a nonprofit. They actually cater to children, adults, and families with, uh, that suffer with uh, developmental disabilities. And a part of that, too, is also foster care. And uh, just to go back to what I said earlier, that I worked in, in Shelters for Street Youth, and I've always been kind of, I've always gravitated to people who, who have, um, have had challenges. So, so by joining this board, it's kind of an extension of who I am and my, the work that I've been doing. And uh, I'm enjoying it thus far. I, I just got involved with my, my first community service. Uh, I'm on the, the board for the Cobb County Library Foundation helping fight illiteracy. So oh, wow. Very it's, nice. It's, it's nice to, uh, to talk about things that folks are doing for the community to try to help uh, those around us. And so congratulations on your involvement in that pro project as well. Thank you so much. Well. Thank you. Talk about how folks can get information uh, about your, your, your firm and how they might get linked up with you. Okay. Thank you. So my website is uh, Poulton Consulting Group and on, sorry, on Facebook, but my website is sorry, PoultonConsultingGroup.com. I'm also on Twitter at Dr. Dion Poulton. That's D-I-O-N-N-E-P-O-U-L-T-O-N. I'm also, what's Facebook, Twitter? What's the other one? I'm missing? LinkedIn. <laughs> There's <laughs> so many. Started, I right? just, yeah. I'm also on LinkedIn at uh, Dr. Dion Poulton. And I welcome emails, um, anything, just um, phone calls. I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody and uh, even to uh, address anything that I've talked about today. Because I know sometimes people have, well, what are you talking about? And I'm 
perfectly fine to talk about any issue with anybody. Well, I certainly appreciate you, you coming into the studio to sit down with me today. And I'm also sitting here with Jermaine Pettis. He is the commercial relationship manager for Brand Bank. I think I met you through LinkedIn. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, let me get you on here. There we go. Yeah, I believe so. And you work with businesses that are in need of capital. How did you end up with, with Brand Bank? Let's rewind and, and reset. And how did you get to where you are today? And we'll get into all the things you're doing for business. Yeah, so uh, I started my career with a regional bank. You know, re- regionals learned a lot of stuff there, great organization. Um, but what I found was that the trend of um, customer service to a lot of, uh, of, of customers were, it was really being beneficial of them utilizing a small community bank that's intact with the community um, and that they were able to be able to provide a level of service that the, the regional guys and, and larger guys couldn't. So Brand Bank was a perfect fit. And uh, here I am. <laughs> Well, when it comes to banking and and getting access to capital for business, I mean, what's the climate like for business? I mean, I know there was a period of time there where it was very, very difficult for small businesses in particular to be able to get access. Yes, you know um, that that was a really tough time when the the, the Great Recession hit. It was it was uh, tough to get capital, but now. Um, actually, you know, when you put a, a bid out there for a project that you're working on, uh, you have three or four different banks trying to uh, gain your service. So so it, it the tides have turned. And then there's some things really that that the customer should realize is that there's a customer segmentation balance going on, meaning that all the banks are really trying to efficiently serve all their clients. And by that, they're trying to put them in silos. So if you've noticed over the years as a business owner, if um, now you had a relationship manager, but uh, now you're being serviced by a retail branch, or you've kind of been bounced around a lot, that's probably a, a, a direct result of that segmentation that banks are trying to do to efficiently uh, service their base. So that's one thing. And that's not good for the client. And, and so that's one thing you want, want to take in, in consideration. And also, banks are finally realizing that customer engagement directly impacts the bottom line. And in particular, brand are really taking a, a step forward in order to trying to uh, gauge customer engagement and also, um, um, you know, being really step forward, saying, hey, we want to be the best customer service and we want to have no disruption to your business. So those are the two things that's kind of the current state. Um, lending is, is back and, and a lot of a lot of competition that way. And those are two um, items that uh, banks are really focusing on in order to uh, move the needle. When you talk about trying to improve engagement with the business client. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, what are they, what are they trying to do now to, to really deepen that relationship so that they will hopefully turn to them for maybe their personal banking needs beyond yeah. their business and, and other services? That's a great question. So as a business owner, you should be focused totally on selling that product or making that widget, whatever you do. Banking shouldn't get in the way to your everyday um, operations. So by that, you have someone that will pick up the phone call, pick up the phone when you call for an answer, or you have access to things online that you may not even have to make that call. Um, just making the, making the customer experience as great as it possibly can and taking out any hurdles is, is really what they're striving for. When it comes to trying to decide where I should go, I mean, is it just going online and trying to find a good rate or somebody give me a, a good number? How do I what are the things I need to be contemplating as a business owner, particularly a small business owner, yeah. where 
every every penny counts. Mm-hmm. What are things I should think about to get involved with a bank for my business? Yeah, uh, banking has become a commodity. Um, we all have the same mobile options, so you can you don't have to go into the uh, brick and mortars anymore. We have similar products across you know all whether it's community bank, regional bank, or national player, and uh, the pricing is always you know within the the, the market range. So. What you should look for um, as a business is what value is that banker, that bank bringing to my business? And what I mean by that is, does that banker understand your business cycle and provide strategy? Um, it just in, as opposed to just saying, hey, I think you need this loan or, hey, why don't you come bring those deposits over to me? So actually being a part of the operations is one thing that you want to look for. Uh, the second thing is... Uh, you know, you just want you want that banker to provide meaningful solutions, and and what that means is you want to run away from the order takers. Um, yeah, you have a you have a, a need to buy a building. The relationship manager, the banker, a bank says, "Hey, yeah, well, I can do that." Everyone wants to hear that, but you want that person that's going to take it a little bit further and say, "Okay, well, so what does this mean for you? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that?" And really, just taking that relationship to an, the next level. Um, you know, I, I use the tagline: "Banking just doesn't have to be banking. Uh, it can be a lot more than than just you know giving you a loan or deposit. I can actually be a partner to help you grow." Well, that was something I was going to ask about because I would imagine that many people think about when think about the bank just in that capacity. I, I go in when I need a loan. So I'm sitting down with a, a loan executive and we're going through that. That's done. Now I don't see or interact with you really anymore unless I'm going in to maybe drop off a check or something like that. But what are other things that you're going to do for a business beyond just maybe make a capital loan of some kind or whatever whatever that type of thing would be? What are what other, other solutions can you provide for the small and mid-sized business? Really is communication and being in, in front of needs. And so what I mean is, um, you know, having that quarterly checkup meeting with, their, with your, with your uh, client saying, hey, how are things going? What do you see? Uh, what can you project in the future? Um, and then from there, uh, having those needs and solu- those, those solutions paired to those future needs. Um, and, and, and not saying to have a crystal ball, um, but to really just engage the client, know what they want to accomplish, and then use your knowledge as a banker, as a financial professional, in order to help accomplish those goals. Are there some particular facets of, of the business's financial, the, that side of their business where they tend to make them make common mistakes. You see it here, here, and here. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what kind of business. It, it's just, these are the areas that Absolutely. they need to shore up. Yeah. Cash flow. Cash flow is especially for a business that's growing. That's always that that is continuously trying to reinvest their profits or reinvest revenues into growth. Um, you really want to sit down with your your banker to to develop a cash flow plan. And to to outline what are the needs? Okay, if I have um, if I pay my vendors X and I'm getting paid from my clients Y, well, there's a there's a bubble in between there that you need to fill. And so your banker needs to understand that your business cycle in order to provide you the adequate capital in order to do that. So working capital, cash flow management is probably the number one thing that you want to talk about and make sure that your banker understands in, in order to succeed. Now, are there some particular things that when you're sitting down with a business owner that you really want to want to focus on as their advisor? Yeah. Yeah. There's 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 three things in particular. Um, I want to make sure that the business is properly financed. Do they have the right amount of debt, term debt, uh, whether they're financing equipment, 
uh, if they have working capital needs, if they have a, the sufficient amount of line of credit uh, in order to um, uh, uh, finance those financing gaps in working capital. So that that's commercial financing is the first piece. The second piece, is, as I mentioned before, is cash flow management. Uh, really, you can sell uh, businesses if you do use the right tools and right solutions. You can self fund a lot of the uh, financing needs that you have, but you have to utilize some tools in order to speed up receivables, slow down payables. Um, and so, so that's, that, that's, that's a big part of, uh, of what I discussed. And then finally, risk management. Uh, risk is, is huge. Fraudsters, fraudsters are getting more and more sophisticated and uh, you have to protect that gold nugget that you're uh, building. So uh, we spend some time about uh, on risk management and things that you can protect your accounts and uh, your, your personal information as well. When it comes to loans, can you talk about are there things that I, I'm sure you could, you get business loan requests for things and you're like, we can't, we can't loan money for that. Mm-hmm. Are there certain things that, that if only the business community out there knew, these are the types of things that you can actually pursue capital, like in the form of a loan for versus we can't loan for these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. There's several, there's several um, things that business owners can do beforehand before they even talk to a bank. Or have those conversations with them. And one, the, the one thing I see is lack of preparation. Um, you know, you always get the, hey, I got this idea and I need you to finance it. Well, okay. So um, there, there's several levels to a business. There's opening the doors. Uh, that's the first level. The second level is uh, break even. Then third level is the fun part, profitability. And then finally, exit. And so if you, you need to think through all those uh, steps of your business, wh- whatever step they're in, and figure out, um, where you are at and what I need to do in order to make uh, make the best case scenario so that this bank can invest in my business, because that's what it is, an investment. Um, so lack of preparation around planning is is the first thing I see. Understand the importance of personal credit, especially for startups and smaller organizations that are pre-revenue. Um, the bank is really looking at how you're a steward of your personal credit in order to make that loan. So a lot of times I see requests come in no work has been done around the personal credit. And so that's really big because in, in our eyes, um, uh, from a credit standpoint, if you're not a good steward of your personal credit, what would make you be a good steward of your business credit? I see. Um, and then finally, uh, share liability. The bank doesn't want to take all the liability. You have to have some skin in the game, for lack of a better term. And so uh, be prepared to, you know, 100% financing is, is pretty tough. Uh, so, you know, what kind of capital are you going to put into the, uh, to the, to the operations in order to make this worthwhile? Now, is it possible to, to, as a loan, I don't even know if it's wise to do so. I'm not very learned in the, in the banking and, and business finance side of things, but just, you talked about cash flow. Is it possible for a small startup business to actually have a loan that's going to give them something to live on? Or do they need as a business owner that's coming to the bank, they need to be able to have some measure of capital that they're bringing that that might be their own internal obligation that you're talking about that I've heard them heard it said you need to be able to live six to six months to a year without getting paid and is that basically a a liability if you will or an obligation that the business owner is going to have to shoulder they can't borrow for that absolutely the the scariest thing I hear when I get a loan request is you know what I'm going to quit my job and I'm going 100% into this business we're like no 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 we need you. To, we need you to keep making money so that you can live, and so that if the business takes a little bit longer uh, in order to break even, 
then you can can help uh, um, aid that if need be. So what I say is that you know you need to really gauge uh, whatever you're doing if you're selling a product, uh, if you're providing a service, gauge how long it's going to take in order for you to break even. How long is going to take you to provide to get uh, to profitability, and then from there. Um, look at your expenses and, and plan accordingly before you jump into a business. That's the number one reason why um, businesses fail is that uh, they're undercapitalized and the business owner cannot keep them going long enough in order to see if it was really a good idea or not. Mm-hmm. Is there a, when it comes to brand bank, is there a particular customer demographic that that you try to really focus on? Like, some some entities out there really try to focus on that small startup business, mid-sized business, large business. Where do you try to position yourself? Uh, brand has a home for everyone. Uh, and, and, and what I mean by that is, is that we are really trying to grow uh, the CNI portfolio. We want businesses that make stuff. We want pe- businesses that distribute stuff. And, and as long as there's, there's good reason, uh, meaning that uh, their share liability, uh, there, there's, there's, um, there's the ability to repay our loan. Uh, we don't like to tie ourselves down to saying, Hey, we only look at these certain things and put ourselves in a box. If the company's making a little bit of money, has a great balance sheet and the personal guarantor, or the business owner is, is a good steward of their finances. We want to talk to you. We've been talking with Jermaine Pettis. He's commercial relationship manager for brand bank, uh, right downtown here in Atlanta. When it comes to introducing yourself to the to the business community i mean are is, is it just who comes in the door how do you get your word out about brand bank and the culture that you you know created within brand bank being that banker that you can inter- interact with they're going to take some investment in me i mean how, do, how yeah. do you get that word out there? Well, unfortunately, the days of just sitting at your desk and uh, and having the opportunity to walk in are, are long gone. That was banking of the 80s. Um, and so now just really getting out in the community. Um, and, 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 and one thing that we use at Brand is, is a slogan called uh, service leads to sales. We want to serve our clients, serve the community, knowing that eventually that's going to lead to, lead to a sale and lead to an awesome relationship that we can bring in. And so being visible in the community. Uh, providing content via all the mediums of Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And it's a meaningful content that folks can use. And hopefully um, that will spark some that they, hey, I, I need my banker to be Jermaine at Brand Bank. When you talk about serving your client before they become the client, I mean, can you talk about some of the different ways or different things? Are there some community initiatives that you're talking about? How do you interact with those folks before they become your customer? Yeah, you'll be surprised that uh, just about every industry has a trade organization. Um, so uh, if, if you, you like manufacturing companies, then there's several manufacturing trade organizations that you can network within. I see. Um, yeah, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of networking happens on LinkedIn, LinkedIn has been, is, is really great. I mean, every, it's a captive audience. And, um, you know, compared to other mediums, it, it really, uh, people listen to you. Um, and so when you put good content out there um, and you have a great uh, uh, brand, uh, as Brand Bank is, um, then it, it makes it really easy to, to get into the door. Do you have some final thoughts before I let you get back to the day? Our time goes by so fast here. <laughs> I would just say that uh, if you're in the in the market and if you're not in the market, more importantly, for uh, a banking institution, make sure that uh, your banker understands your business and can help you both navigate the downsides and the fun times. Um, and, and, and with that, if you don't have that, please give me a call. Now, I've heard on the news that they're talking about 
interest rates going up, how does that affect what we're talking about here? Is it one of those things where if I'm in the place where I've been thinking about doing effort to acquire a loan, is it you know, maybe a good time to try to beat that? Does it take a little time for those types of changes to filter down to this end? Yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely going to affect, uh, you know, we've been in this low interest rate environment for so long and it's, it's really going to be a, a changing of thought um, that, that's going to have to occur for business owners uh, because those low rates are, aren't just going to um, be available anymore. And so um, if you're looking for, especially if you're looking for a big purchase, a long-term purchase, such as real estate um, or some, some equipment or term type facilities, definitely now's the time because uh, I think the, the, uh, the tide is going to have to rise when it comes to the interest rates. And so right now would definitely be a, a really good time to, to jump on. If you're thinking about that building, go ahead and you know, look at it and purchase it now so you can lock in some low rates. Where does somebody get in touch with you so that they can either get more information, get linked up with you so that they can explore having you become their banking advisor? Yeah, um, you can reach me at my personal website at Jermaine Pettis. That's J-E-R-M-A-I-N-P-E-T-T-I-S.com. I'm on Twitter at MyBankerJermaine and um, on LinkedIn and, and Facebook as well. So uh, I, I got it all, making it easy. <laughs> And for all the folks that are listening out there, if you haven't done so already, if you look in the upper left-hand corner of the Midtown Business Radio Show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast lives, and you can subscribe to us. And that way, each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to listen to whenever it's convenient for you. You can listen in the car via your smartphone, as I do. Um, and we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks because you might just be putting some information in their hands that actually makes a big difference for their business or for their personal life. And so just by clicking share, you might really help somebody out and you didn't even realize you did it. So we'll say thanks in advance to all the folks that do turn around, put this out on LinkedIn or maybe share it with their uh, Facebook or whatever social media platform that they're a part of. Dion, I really appreciate you taking some time to be with me here. And Jermaine as well. You all have been great. Thank you for the invitations. Thanks. Thank you. Do you have some final thoughts before I let you let you get back to your afternoon real quick? I will plug my show one more time. All right. <laughs> so the Dr. Dion show airs uh, every second Friday of each month at 10 a.m. on Business Radio X. With my it. man, Mike Salmon. Shout out to Mike Salmon. Now, is he is he a co-host with you or are you running the show and he's just producing for you? He's executive producer of the show. All right. And so uh, we may, uh, uh, we talked about in the future, maybe having a dialogue between the two of us as well. So yeah. stay tuned. He's a good egg. He's awesome. He's <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for being a part of the show as well, Jermaine, and uh, all the folks out there who made us a part of your day. We want to say thanks so much. We really appreciate your time. We'll connect with you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.